we're excited for this trilogy. We've done a few. Three podcasts. We've yes. done a few. We, of course, is Montana Samuels over there. I almost I did it kind of again. Yeah, Montana. Second second try on the This name. is the second try, but it's okay. I'm Mike Bonner, <laughs> got that one down. Uh, we're talking about social media, which we it's the war of info. Is we do a lot. About. We talk about social media, and we're talking about info wars and really kind of what's gone down with info wars. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. That's all of them, correct? Yes. Banned yes. Alex Jones and info wars from their accounts or from their platforms, I should say. Twitter allowed Alex Jones to remain on its platform. They did. They announced that yesterday, I believe. We're looking at three episodes. Today we're going to look at the journalism aspect of it, how this involves journalism. Week two, we're going to look at the First Amendment, Mm -hmm. specifically how it involves the First Amendment. And then week three, we're going to look at the business aspect, which I'm really actually, in a weird way, most excited about. Uh, But we'll get to that later. We want to talk about journalism right now. And... Really, we're, we're sitting here, and I have the definition of journalism in front of me, the definition of news, the definition of information, and the definition of fact in front of me. And we were going to ask the question, is Alex Jones a journalist? A question a lot of people have been asking. Yeah. Or not, it, I, the, the weird, not to sort of derail this, but people aren't even really asking the question. It's sort of just being... It's a statement of whether he is or is not. And then we thought to ourselves, is it appropriate for two journalists? Right. Because journalism really doesn't... Reporters aren't supposed to offer opinion. At traditional media companies. I would say reporters in general... A definition of a... Like you could say a quarterback is not supposed to run the ball in the NFL. But hypothetically. But he does. It doesn't... uh, But... The if you say quarterback, you think throw. Yeah. So reporter, you think fact. Sure. Yeah. Um, Straight fact. Yeah. Sure. And there's columnists and other things like that. So as two reporters, we were curious: where does the line end? Are we now podcast hosts? Are we right. away from that? Is it okay to have a personal Twitter account? I am really on the fence it, of that. I think you can have a finsta. I don't know what the word is for fake Twitter. A, f- a Twitter. A burner, a burner. There you go. There you go. Shout out to Brian Colangelo. (laughs) Um, And that really, it. it, Reason why I brought this up. The reason why I brought you into the pre-pod planning is because I think that's how Alex Jones was formed in a way. Because news in itself is genuinely really kind of quick. Right. A lot of it is Twitter. What happened? Who won? Who lost? uh, In tragedies you know how many lives were affected right while lost injured something like that but we have now the internet we have now 24-hour news cycles where production needs to be had so a lot of times especially being from sports background i would report okay so and so was suspended or so and so is leaving super easy what does it mean what does it mean for the team what does it mean for this so donald trump's elected president what does it mean for the country and a lot of that, right. no one knows. It's opinionated. It's, it's hypothesizing. Which I think, it's interesting. That maybe this is important to now provide the background of Alex Jones. He he's essentially began as like an Austin, Texas-based talk radio guy in the vein of like a Rush Limbaugh or a Glenn Beck, which is maybe sort of speaks to that. I mean, we sort of, I sort of fumbled earlier over like, 
well, reporter at a traditional media company is not allowed to share their opinion, but in the ever-changing field of journalism, maybe now as reporters at different like online-centric companies, it seems like people are sharing their opinion. And I think, like you said, Alex Jones comes from this world, and talk radio maybe as talk radio and people like Alex Jones have, in a way, been a good exemplification of people who have just straight up shifted from facts to only opinion. Now, Alex Jones is a pretty extreme example of that because his opinion falls pretty much 99% in conspiracy. But it's interesting to sort of ponder this fact of like, where do we stand in the landscape of people who give their opinion and then also report on stories almost in step with each other? I, I think it, it's it's really important to, as a reporter, to remain fact-based. And I Absolute, think even yeah. as a, a columnist or anything, you should remain fact-based. It, it's It's so vital to everything else because... I think there's a certain amount of trust in there in anything. If you're yeah. a, if you're a bank, if you're a, a a food company, if you're anything, your trust is enormous. Sure. And I think anytime the trust is broken, everything happens so quickly in our lives now, but it shouldn't be lost that when that trust is broken, it shouldn't be assumed that, okay, we'll right. just, we have eight more stories coming along the way. We'll just fix it that way. Right. And, and there, of course, are different – there needs to be a scale of you know facts. And if I sure. just accidentally, not maliciously at all, misspelled or mispronounced your name, <laughs> that's completely different than saying uh, – His name Parkland is – Parkland people are um, child actors. Right. There's, sure, there's sure. a really there's a, big difference right. there between, whoops, you know, sorry that I misspelled your name. It was, you know, honest mistake. And then, you know, using tragedy and calling it false. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, too, a, a thing about trust is how it's it, so bad. This sort of comes in the vein of what we're talking about today, which is the ban of Alex Jones content from Apple, Facebook, YouTube and the upholding of it on Twitter does public opinion now shift to these entities that go in the... So, like, something I've been parsing out is, is this um, public pressure creating company procedure, or is it just companies finally waking up to, like, how they should actually be upholding their company structures? And whether or not that's even that's necessarily a good thing, because it is is it these companies fixing their business structure for the future, or is it just we're going to only do anything when people get really really upset at us about it, and then we'll do a quick fix and move on from it? I have to I have to backtrack a little bit because it's bothering me in my head. If I misspell your name and you don't trust me again. I am actually completely understandable. Like I, because no, that's how much I personally as a reporter take that like I want a story that has it No, sure. Should be 100. It's been fact checked. If, it has, the, if right. it's something as little as you know, I M I C H E A L is how you spell Michael and I put A E L cuz that's how my name's spelled right. and just assumed. I think that yeah, you have a right not to trust me because hey, I that's screwed up. The, now I would disagree sure. with you and say 
it, you know, it was an accident, you know. Right. But if, and I think that's where all media needs to understand, no error is acceptable. Right. And if the public doesn't agree with that, it doesn't matter. Like, you, right. you, you have to be perfect every single day. Now, to get to your question, uh, that now I think it's kind of buried. Well, it's, honestly, it, it sort of, like, makes... Yeah, it it's like um, I'm just curious how these. Com- it seems like these companies' structures and how they've created their terms of service have been a talked about point for a really long time about how it's not it, like they're not doing it well. It's not scaling properly. They're like questionable ethically. And then we bring up Alex Jones as sort of this figurehead of like, well, this is the most unethical person we can think of. Are you going to finally come around on this and like maybe change some things? Because like, here's this instance of him like inciting violence. Here's this instance of him being racist. The jury's at like, what are you going to do? And most of the companies were like, okay, I see your point. Like, here's our opportunity to get like this, bad actor off of our pages who violated terms of service many of times but had never done it in the way in which it would actually boot him off whereas twitter sort of like is the only opposing voice on that so i'm just curious like is is it actually good and maybe this is a topic we can get into further during like a first amendment or a business conversation later on um but is that actually good for like public and journalists to be upholding these companies to like celebrate this as victory or is it just like well this is once again only us pressuring this company to do something so it's not like they actually really fixed anything they just got a lot of external pressure and like caved to it i'm thinking because i i don't i don't know if as a journalist, I ever the only time I ever celebrate really is when my story is complete or sure if yeah if something goes quickly on deadline yeah. or something because I, again I think if you look at the Washington Post reporting on Roy Moore, I don't think right. they were celeb. You just you write what sure you as, as a, as a journal as a as a reporter who ethically keeps to the like sort of traditional reporter values. But I mean, if you read headlines, it's like trying to decide whether what Twitter is doing is truly bad or like whether banning Alex Jones is bad. I think Politico published something that said like, stop banning Alex Jones. Vox uh, said that like what Twitter was doing should be like a, Oh, where is it? Where's the Vox? But it, here's my, and here's how we again get back to why Alex Jones became so big and why facts are secondary. Mm hmm. Because people like a conspiracy theory. Sure. And people also live in the now. So if we're looking at the Vox headline, Twitter's stance on InfoWars is Alex Jones should be a moment of reckoning for users. So this is a headline calling out users. People are going to click on that. I'm not saying that they specifically wrote this story for clicking, but I am surprised uh, how... And then the how sub- many opinions there are on there out there for some of these yeah. sites because it's it's a private 
but industry. It's, it's worth noting that this is a story that's like reported out. It's not an op-ed like the the writer uh, Asia Romano site. Like the writer's reporting. Like you're getting facts. You know what you're I just, haven't seen though. I haven't seen. To me, that's that. I read it. and I didn't think it was the best reporting ever. To me, I want to see where did where were the violations. Like, sure. Show me the tweets the, yeah. that were here that he sure. violated. Um, Maybe that's also something that, which is another. This sort of plays back into the are are these social media websites just caving to external pressure? Like, if you ask them, like, hey, can you point us to this direction? Are they giving journalists that information, or do they even have that information? And I, I'll take it one step further. Yeah. It, from that Vox headline again, it, it, I'm not. I don't want to just attack Vox. Sure, uh, I like for that. Yeah, shout out to Vox. We like Vox, right? Um, but the the did they write a you know, this is a reckoning for Papa John's pizza eaters. Don't you know uh, how far are they going? No, but seriously, how far are they going in terms of uh, all of this stuff? You know, when you yeah. look at other things that we've seen, why why is this one more? crazy than others and i think it's because people will, will click on it and and i don't understand why it's a reckoning for twitter users now well an opinion i am comfortable giving is that if you're eating papa john's pizza you should have had a reckoning a long time ago <laughs> but you get my point though no yeah sure sure i yeah totally i mean i think there there is sort of the maybe they did write one i don't know and I, like we're talking <laughs> this is this sort of getting into like institutional lean as well which like it's just a part of the internet but i th- i think the the big pick, essentially, I think a good way to sort of wrap our conversation and transition is to say that these types of issues, when you delve into social media as it interacts with journalism, are really broad, and it it should be. I think people need to look at it more in depth than just we got this bad actor off of the site because it has ramification. I think it could have greater ramifications across the board than just we got one person off like i mean the oh god now i'm blanking on his name the uh co-founder of twitter um jack dorsey when he when he essentially called on journalists to do the job of twitter for them that's not journalists aren't on payroll for twitter and it's worth noting that like i mean we talked about this earlier like journalists provide a really important like subsection of twitter or make up a really important subsection of Twitter. So it, the way journalism and social media interacts is ever-changing, but it's also crucial to a lot of these institutions and to the sites. So I, I, I think ha- parsing how Twitter is going to continue to interact with people who operate in journalistic or journalistic-adjacent spaces is really interesting. I was just looking for, uh, and of course it's not, uh, speaking of Twitter, I was having a conversation uh, with my friends about this topic in terms of when when is censorship good, when is it not, uh, specifically journalism and saying, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't actually about Alex Jones at all, it was um, just how reporters can do a better job and not inserting their opinion. And we talked about just raining, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's raining outside, we should not be reporting the person who says it's not raining. It's, it is raining. It's right. We don't need an opinion saying it is not raining. Yeah. 
we can say, uh, sticking with that example, then how far do you go? Can you report, okay, it's raining. How is the rain affecting the people? And then right. why is the rain bad? Is that, why is it good? Right. Where Where is the line of, Ed as a reporter, and one of my friends really had made, made a great point, and now I can't remember it, and it's not here. So <laughs> this whole kind of situation was different. But I think it's just, to me, the need for opinion, the need for some clicking, as we sure. clicked on that, vo- that Voss, uh, Vox headline, a lot of news, as I said, is kind of a tweet. You can kind of get the gist of it from just looking at the headline. But as the journalism industry, we need more than just that. Right. And we need to get you to our website, which is sometimes opinion-based. It's sometimes, you know, uh, inflated headlines. Sure. And I think inflated headlines leads to an Alex Jones-type character. Right, because it, it, it it's an evolution eventually sure. getting there, and people want to people want to hear you know yeah uh, craziness. I mean, I I deal with it all the time when people are. I'm just like they'll email me tips, so to speak. Right, and like it's not it's it's actually very right. much more simple. Well, then it, see, I, I've sort of come full circle on this because you're you you spoke about like we don't need to interview the person that says the rain is bad. Okay, then to sort of. Go I back. That, I was wondering. As I said, we can't interview the person and say it's not raining. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Not raining. Alex Jones is a conspiracy theorist. Do we really need to interview the person that says he's not a conspiracy theorist? Or do we need to even go through the idea of saying that Alex Jones is anything but this, right? Like, Maybe that's the stance that all of these publications are taking rather than just putting like – maybe it's not that they aren't doing their due diligence. It's rather just saying like we know the answer to this. It's a problem. Here's why it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And here's why it's a problem that Twitter specifically is interacting with it in this way. So may- maybe it's, it's just critical analysis to the point where it's already a conclusion. And since it's such a widespread conclusion, it's okay to – articulate it in that way yeah and i don't know if there's an answer or not yeah yeah i don't know that's interesting but then you the new york times writing is obviously different on it it's more fact but it's just more like straight to the point like this is what happened but yeah it's interesting but maybe this is a good time now to transition into our interview so we can sort of go more in depth with yeah unfortunately i don't think we introduced it until right now but we're gonna actually have an expert uh uh, Professor Caitlin O'Neill Emerald uh, from UMass Dartmouth making a second appearance uh, with yeah. the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah, definitely. Uh, she's going to kind of bring in a uh, an academic's point of view and uh, really uh, great information, great perspective on the whole situation. Yeah. Two, one. Well, as promised, we're bringing back, uh, I think, our first two-time appearance guest uh, this i think is the it might be yeah, yeah. Uh, professor uh caitlin o'neill amaral from umass dartmouth thank you so much uh for joining us again happy to be here for the second time yeah. it's a great honor <laughs> congratulations yeah uh but it's really this is something that uh montana and i have talked a lot about off off pod as we say yeah. and then a lot of my friends we've discussed about uh even before uh Alex Jones and Infowars was kind of banned from some social media aspects is mm-hmm. kind of the role of social media in 
promoting facts. Uh, what yeah. do you teach your students in terms of the role of social media and what's appropriate to be posted there in terms of fact base and such? And, and is it just another extension of what you would write in a newspaper or on a news broadcast? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I mean, to answer the first part of your question, I mean, you can post anything on social media, right? That's sort of the problem that we're having, right. um, is that there really aren't a lot of, of rules, and the rules uh, are being, are sort of evolving and being set as we're all doing this um, together. Um, so, I mean, I think it's it's an interesting thing to, to look at. I think most journalists, who are posting things on social media, if they're post, I mean, sometimes they have accounts that are um, associated with the organization that they work for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would assume that they, um, I know the New York Times and some other newspapers have um, guidelines, you know, for what you can post because um, they're concerned with their, with their credibility mm-hmm. um, and with, with posting the facts. I think a lot of other journalists have, uh, have accounts that are that are their own that sort of um, trade on their status as a journal you know practicing journalist that works for a recognizable uh, news outlet um, and some of them use it more um, in sort of a more informal capacity I think to talk about the news to talk about their reporting to maybe do a little bit more opining than they would do in in their work because that's not part of their of their job um but i really think at this point it's kind of a moving target <laughs> right yeah, it's sort of become like a blended world where even like a personal yeah. account becomes yeah. by nature part of the publication something a publication has to deal with and, and a journalist too right i think a lot of the journalists do it because um because of our fluid workplace right they mm-hmm. they want to have a higher profile I think it's something that employers look at like, oh, you you can do this thing. I mean, let's face it, a lot of the people who are in sort of management editorial roles in in the media now are older, right? And this has come, uh, happened in their lifetimes. Um, and they might, they know it's important. They don't really maybe even understand it. I don't, I don't know that anyone really understands how everyone's using this. I think people use it in, in a lot of different ways, but... So they so they say, oh, we need somebody who who understands this, you know, social media world. And if you're a reporter who looks like they can use it in in all kinds of ways, right? Maybe to promote work, maybe to um, contact sources, maybe to start discussions that drive traffic. You know, there's all kinds of different ways that that social media can can be used by by media organizations and then by the individual people who are working in those organizations. It, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned at one point that was, it, 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 it's interesting as you mentioned sometimes, uh, you know, journalists will have two accounts and one will be more personal and uh, easier to share opinions or uh, better to share opinions on that one. And I, I think it's, that's an interesting aspect of this whole entire story is I went and I Googled InfoWars Twitter and up pops a bunch of really just opinionated pieces there's Mm -hmm. i I was kind of just looking for a rundown of you know what specifically happened why they were banned and and there and you're getting why they should be banned Mm -hmm. why they shouldn't be banned and 
Do you mm-hmm. think it's appropriate for a lot of news outlets to, and, and certainly they, there are so many news outlets now. I mean, it wasn't like this was, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I had to go to their actual yeah. sites to see this. It was a yeah. bunch of other things that popped right. up on Google. But do you think it's appropriate for uh, these media organizations to take stances on things like this? Um, media organizations, meaning that's a good question. Like newspapers <laughs> or, or television stations or like things that we think of as like the traditional media, or are you talking more like the actual platform? I guess I'll, right? I'll that's start. A yeah. I, Cause you're right. I didn't <laughs> see, you know, the traditional forms of media taking so much, um, uh, stances, but it was more untraditional, non-traditional. Um, Maybe there. like uh, like online-based media sources, right? Because I saw like Vox and like gonna, The yep. Verge and places like that. Right. I guess that's uh, you sort of bring up well, an interesting. And those places, yeah, those places do do reporting, though, right? right? But, right. but I would yeah. say probably a lot of their traffic and and part of the one of the ways they're trying to survive and be successful is by by being a place that's provocative and, and, you know, driving conversation. And so their opinion pieces maybe drive more traffic and are higher visibility than, than some of the reporting that they do, you know, like Buzzfeed and Fox, like you said, it's sort of like of the um, moment journalism, right? Where it's like, this is the, we're reading the ecosystem as we see it. And our editorial Mm -hmm. base will shift to wherever we see we can fit into that. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's it's part of the nature of um, of these actual means of of communication that everything has been accelerated, um, and because you know people's attention span and eyeballs and ears and whatever ways they're consuming this stuff sure. have been um, you know dispersed across so many more um, news outlets and. Um, opinion, you know, platforms that, uh, you know, people feel an urgency or companies feel an urgency to, to capture, you know, that moment. Like you said, if um, Alex Jones and InfoWars and what, and what he's doing, although I would argue we've been talking about it for a long time, but it has come to a bit of a mm-hmm. fever pitch right, right now. Do you see any concern for journalists who are reporting facts and doing abiding by journalistic ethics uh do you see any consequences from this to to journalists that are you know following journalism ethics consequence in terms of when you social media regard regarding social media in terms of uh potentially being banned or anything like this do you see this as a slippery slope argument or um is this something that it was kind of a one-time thing or should journalists be uh, weary that, you know, now bans can happen? Um, no, I don't think they should be weary. First of all, Alex Jones is not a journalist. Right. and that yeah. <laughs> He is someone who, uh, you know, more resembles, you know, an opinion writer in the newspaper right. or somebody who has a talk show on you know, Fox or MSNBC, um, you know, he, he's even more of an outlier. I mean, that's part of the expansion that has happened with, you know, the internet and social media is that we're, you know, we are getting a lot more voices than we used to, which most people would say is good, but there's also some bad in there. Mm-hmm. We get the conspiracy theorists. He happens to be somebody that, I mean, I, I have not studied him in depth. I don't know why he's the guy that has caught on with a lot of 
of people or mm-hmm. how he amassed his audience, but um, uh, you know, he he had a platform. So, and and also the so the you know the the number of people that he attracted is greater than a lot of the conspiracy theorist people um, who are out there. And then also, I would say the degree of of um, severity of his conspiracy theories, um, you know, and in particular, obviously the one that, that offends people is the most is Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. I think, because he says that, you know, it never happened. And um, I would say whatever your feelings about gun rights, you know, when a whole kindergarten class of kids is annihilated, it's, I think the country felt like that was a low point. <laughs> yeah. And for him to say that it wasn't, and he's inflicted real harm, you know, a lot of the people that he's activated um, through his, uh, through his work on his, you know, um, radio show and um, his channel on YouTube and his other social media platforms, you know, they've gone after these his kids died as if that wasn't terrible enough. So, I just don't, I don't know if Alex Jones is, is a bellwether for anything um, that has anything to do with journalism. Mm-hmm, sure. I mean, I think people are maybe latching onto it because um, I think it is of a piece with um, the demands that, say, you know, Congress was making about, about Facebook and accountability mm-hmm. there. We're still in a wild west of these, pla- these are platforms, I'm calling them platforms like Facebook and Mm-hmm. Um, Spotify and YouTube and these things, but um, but really they don't quite act purely as platforms, right? They're they're media companies, whether the people who run them want them to be or not. And most of our other media companies that are widely distributed are regulated in some way. You know, you can't say the seven dirty words on TV right. <laughs> because there are laws, you know, mm-hmm. and there's certain things that you can do on on cable and there's. I mean, there are, you know, sort of regulations that protect the public interest, and those haven't occurred yet with this. Um, all the power is in the hands of the people who run these companies, which is why, um, you know, um, that's the only recourse that people have. This was basically a, a, a campaign to get him off there by, um, you know, private citizens and journalists because they didn't, they felt, they thought that he was violating the terms of service that the company set, not that we, the general public side right so and so to sort of sorry that was long-winded no no so and even to sort of expand on that point further this is something mike and i uh talked about before we started recording but so twitter seems to be the voice on the other side who has decided to take an apolitical stand is how it's being viewed in the public eye but essentially they've decided Mm -hmm. not to ban alex jones because they feel he didn't violate their terms of services they say rather than uh twitter as an entity deciding who's doing something that's beneficial or detrimental to the public awareness that should be the job of journalists and other folks Mm -hmm. in that vein to do that um which many journalists I saw on Twitter sort of bristled to the idea of pointing to the types of trolling that you alluded to specifically to female journalists or journalists of color, which immediately made me think, is Twitter, the ecosystem that Twitter has established currently, will that support a journalist trying to 
break, say, let's say even break news or just point out facts about people who are breaking the terms of service or inciting violence or different things? Or does Twitter need to better their platform in order for journalists to do the job that they think they should be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's a huge ask of Twitter to say, like, oh, journalists, like, not only do you <laughs> right. have to tell us what the facts are now, but now you have to debunk all of these, like, some of these people are, like, legitimately insane, you know? <laughs> like, there's no basis for some of their claims about what's happening in the world. And these people have always been with us, and, you know, it's fine, like, <laughs> but at the same, by the same token, now, because of these different platforms, their, you know, conspiracy beliefs, their wacky theories have been amplified. And I, I really don't think, I mean, what's going to happen, right, is that they're just going to maybe drive journalists off off the, the platform. And I don't know, I don't know what good that does. I mean, these are the questions that we're all asking now about the roles that these platforms and means of communicating play, play in, our, in our lives. Um, if we feel like there is some... Um, usefulness to them in terms of having conversations, of, of getting information out to people. At what point does that become so degraded by by people who are, are trolling, people who have another mm. agenda? Um, you know, do, do, do we as a society, I don't, you know, people maybe don't want the government to step in, but um, um, they are an entity that could step in. Um, we're not doing a very good job patrolling each other at this point, which I think is what, you know, uh, Twitter is saying we, we should do. Um, the conversation has, has devolved into trolling and name calling. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point, which I kind of thought of was at some point, what's the incentive to, to be on the platform when, as you mentioned, it's the job to just debunk everything that's in it. And I, I think there are certain things Twitter has established itself as a viable means of voicing one's opinion, but it's not like journalists go through Reddit or 4chan or whatever to see, oh, well, there it doesn't work like that. So I think you're, you do bring up a good point of at some point, if the, the service isn't useful to the provide to the to the user then then yeah there could be a point where because that's what twitter i feel like is is a news gathering whether it's your celebrity telling you where they are what they're doing a journalist tweeting out stuff a lot of it is there for news and if it's not valued there anymore you go elsewhere whether it's facebook or youtube or wherever i think that was a really good point by by you yeah or or where though right right Right. because you know, uh, they they did take in floors off, but but they were infiltrated by um, you know Russian accounts that were right. purporting mm-hmm. to be different. You know that were trying to to hack our election, and you start to think about you know what what is what is the point of all these <laughs> um, right. services if it is some sort of information sharing? If all the information is bad, right? you know, what, what do you do? What do you do then? We're, we're used to getting information in a, in a good information, factual information in a, at a more rapid pace than, you know, the olden days when there was a morning and an evening newspaper or, you know, newscast, you know, throughout the day. But, um, but it's only worthwhile if, if the information is, is high quality. 
Yeah. And I think, and this was kind of going into our, you know, our third episode, but I, I wanted to ask you while we have you, uh, it's interesting that when you look at our paper, most of the people arrive at South Coast today through Facebook. And then there's mm-hmm. other, you know, whether it's Twitter mm-hmm. or, but most people aren't going to yeah. southcoasttoday.com off the bat. Right. I, I go to all, I get right. all of my news off of Twitter. What do you think right. this means? And maybe there isn't an answer. I, I, I'm just genuinely interested. What does this mean for the future of journalism where we aren't, I'm not going to WashingtonPost.com. Mm-hmm. I'm following Washington Post on Twitter that we're really using this third party to, right. to find, to navigate towards our news. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of the Wild West, right? Yeah. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a problem. Like, you can't control who you're showing up next to um, and, and how you're sort of perceived. The environment is cluttered with a lot of other stuff. Like, maybe not even false stuff right. like you said right maybe like celebrity stuff or, mm-hmm. or a funny cat video um, and, you know it's, it's something weird like that <laughs> well and i mean this is another another issue right is that is that when you know news is often it's some of the more important important information we should be digesting but it's often not the most fun or uplifting news, right. you mm-hmm. know um so how do how do we how do we compete um uh i mean i don't yeah, I don't. I don't know enough about the different business models of of um, you know um, newspapers and um, TV stations and things like that about how they're handling um, that that change in um, in approach. Right, if you're not coming to the front page of a newspaper, you know what does that what does that mean for for your um, for your brand. Mm-hmm. I, I know for the, for the consumer, again, it's back to this great, like, okay, I'm, I get to choose. Right. But I mean, the, the wonderful thing about the front page of a newspaper is that you get a good, pretty good snapshot of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just looking at one tweet from South coast today about one story that you decide to click through, you know, that that's a much narrower little, Right, little pinhole that you're viewing the world through. That you happen to be and on Twitter at that exact that time. Maybe <laughs> after you go go to that story, that maybe you know, maybe you don't explore the rest of the paper. I mean, I would think the hope would be by those news outlets that once you're there, you might mm-hmm. stay. Right, that's why all that stuff is popping up at the bottom, and they have you know, stories linked in the sides of mm-hmm. articles, and they're trying to to capture people, <laughs> right? To kidnap them from from Twitter. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> don't go back there. It's also sort of important to, I I feel like one thing that we haven't really mentioned is the con, like when you're on Twitter, as opposed to just viewing the story and only the story on the front page of a newspaper is the context in which a news story can arrive on your timeline, whether that be Facebook or Twitter, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we've talked about trolls for almost the entire podcast, and that's often how a lot of people who don't maybe have the media literacy to like curate their timelines in a way that's like more media Twitter friendly, you're seeing a news story with this added context, whether it be accurate or not, that's either a positive or negative lean to what was written. And I think immediately when you think about that through the lens of media literacy, that can derail the entire article before someone even clicks on it. 
which I, I think is maybe another that just sort of that, that those are like the types of things I think about when I'm trying to contextualize how Twitter or Facebook can maybe do a better job when they say like, oh, we want right. to provide a platform for journalists to do well in. But that sort of adds to the Wild West element of it as well. It does. But what you're pointing out is, is interesting, too, right, is that there is this, all of these sites have an algorithm Right. right that that delivers things to you. I mean you're you're actively following people, but they're always suggesting people based on um you know who else you followed, you know, we all you, you start to craft your own little little echo chamber that's that's hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um by the same token, you know, these algorithms you, they can say, Oh, the algorithm but you know, they're making these decisions about um, how to prioritize content, you know, what, what you see and when you see it. And, um, and all of these companies uh, are doing that to make you stay on their website longer, right? right? It's, not a, it's not a quality of information algorithm, <laughs> uh, which is not great. But to say that they're powerless to, to change um, some of the ways that they're... Uh, platforms are delivering information is I think not true. Yeah. You know, they just have different priorities from users. And as you said, I mean, this is complicated stuff. It's, um, it's a brave new world that we're all figuring out together. And a lot of people don't have the media literacy or even the, just the time to stop and think like, wait a minute, why, why am I getting this? What's happening? Right. <laughs> you know, that there's, there are other, there are other factors operating that, that aren't visible to the naked eye. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Caitlin, this is exactly, I think, what we hoped <laughs> it would be. Uh, definitely a strong start off to our little uh, social media media mini series. So, again, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, a thank you to uh, UMass Dartmouth professor and friend, new friend of the pod, uh, Caitlin. You could make an argument, number one friend of the pod. <laughs> number one, first friend of the pod. Uh, yeah, but I, I think, once again, just something really interested, and I think I'm speaking for both of us when I say that we're excited to dig into the other parts of this discussion in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, I think she wrapped it up perfectly in terms of we're kind of here because what what is media and how do you get it out? And sometimes when you, the best way to attract viewers is, you know, through some opinions. So, yeah. Uh, very interesting. Next week we have uh, professor Dwight Duncan uh, on to speak about uh, the first amendment from UMass Dartmouth. And I know we're wrapping up here, but this is the first pod since my music weekend. Music oh, week. that's true. Yeah, uh, Macklemore, Kesha, and then Taylor Swift. You want to recap that at all, or I, that, that's why I brought it up. I wasn't just going to like <laughs> have a little nugget out there for the. Uh, I would say the T Swift squad is not going to appreciate me, but I actually enjoyed the Macklemore. Yeah, don't Kesha. get the don't get the Swifties after us, Mike. I, I really I was sitting there uh, at Gillette Stadium, and I really wanted to see. I wanted to see because Beyonce was coming. I think a week after. Uh huh. I really wanted to see Beyonce's squad and Taylor Swift's squad like little beef. Yeah, I think we know who wins that one. I just I, I don't was, come don't come for us Taylor Swift fans. Don't please. I was it was it would have been really because both squads think that their respective artist is 
And I watch people cry at Taylor Swift. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's what it was. It was really fascinating. Uh, th- first, though, first female artist to sell out Gillette Stadium three straight nights. Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Has there? I don't know if that was an option for others, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. That's, she had done it back to back before, but no one had ever sold out three straight concerts at Gillette Stadium. Sort of seems like one of those things where, like, Future last year, like last late winter, was like the first person to have a number one, like a different number one album in back to back weeks. Well, and like, it was like, well, did anyone else try? I, but <laughs> I, I think part of it, I, you know, I, originally I thought, yeah, what you were thinking, but. That's 180,000 people, give Gaga or take. Gaga could do it. She, no, she could, but, I mean, to, to try to do it, that's... I guess it, it's like a demand in the market, right? Like right. Taylor Swift probably wasn't You could like, do, three do three shows. Sure. Now, could you sell out three shows in three straight days, and especially when it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You're right. Lady Gaga I, I could. I bet Gaga, Beyonce. Beyonce could? Uh, I like this, where this is going. Else. That's... Um, now that we're not talking about artistry here, we're talking about like celebrity, um, Gaga, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Rihanna, maybe Rihanna, there's a chance. I don't want to hate it. Riri's my favorite. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm not trying to parse whether or not. That's all I'm saying is, is actually when you think about 60,000 people, does Fleetwood Mac count? Like what about a legacy acts? I don't know if they can do it. Stevie Nicks? Stevie (laughs) Nicks. Come on. Uh, what about like old? Ra- yeah, I don't know. Come on, don't don't you don't you do that to Stevie? Stevie Nicks is not going to sell out Gillette Stadium three straight nights. She could Fli- landslide. We'll talk. Well, this is an off-pod conversation. <laughs> I did not expect it to end with maybe Montana like hating me because so of Stevie es- Nicks. So essentially, maybe there's like four or five female artists to like that are currently Stevie Nicks. I thought you were going to say like Elton John or uh, no, 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 no. Elton John, what? Stevie Nicks? I'm just, I'm hypothesizing. My, I bet Stevie Nicks could sell out two in a row. That's not, that, that's great. Nice for, we're well, talking I about mean, three. that puts her in the conversation. Puts her in oh, the conversation. It? it does not. We're, Taylor Swift has sold out Gillette Stadium twice, like five times. I think it was, well, no, that doesn't make any sense because this was her 10th sellout at Gillette. There's a world in which I talk about how Taylor Swift is New England and personified and i'm not going to do it on this podcast i was disappointed she did not say that she was from new england i that was my number one kind of disappointment of the, the taylor swift i appreciated it more after because of like the show itself i was like wow that was insane that they did that but she she wasn't as personal as uh <laughs> kesha and macklemore were look out for my thank piece coming on why taylor swift is new england personified she lives in new england she's a new englander she should no he's comment. Such a hater. He's <laughs> he. Whenever I get into my musics, my music this, this following. Is, this is Montana not about hates. the music. This is this is more about. I'm gonna get a lot of people mad at me on this one. Behind the music with Montana, check it out. Behind the, I have nothing to offer on that. What was it? the better of two shows? Was Macklemore? Okay, <laughs> yes. we talk, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get back on. He track could not here. sell out three shows at Gillette. <laughs> not right now. 2014 he could I don't think he could either When that album come out 2014 At uh, 2014 he could Yeah He yeah. had two songs How are you going to sell A Gillette Stadium With two songs That's all you need <laughs> <laughs> Camila Cabello Didn't sell it I mean she was there For the sell But young, people were young, not there Young Thug wasn't there 
she, I want to live in a world where Young Thug sells out Gillette Stadium three nights in a row. That's all. That's all I'm saying. All right, we're we're gonna end it there. This has totally gone off the rails. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Have us again, whatever it's called. It's been the bubble. He is Mike Bonner. He is fraught. I am Montana Samuels. I am less fraught. And we hope you'll have us back.